am Julie Moran, and I am so thrilled to bring you my podcast, Limitless, Boldly Tackle Your Next Chapter. Today on my Limitless podcast, writer and supermodel Paulina Poroskova. After a lifetime of being looked at, she is ready to be heard. Paulina talks candidly about her very public personal life after the death of her husband and how taking responsibility for yourself, choosing to be a warrior and not a victim will guide you on your path to reinvention. Paulina, I'm so excited to have you on Limitless. It's about boldly tackling that next chapter and you have boldly tackled some great (laughs) challenges and chapters in your life. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I think I fit right in. (laughs) You do. You're the perfect guest. You know, after so many years of being looked at, it seems like at this point in your life, you are ready to be heard and you have so much to say. Well, um, I actually, I feel like I kind of wanted to be heard my whole life. It's just, it's something that escaped me because people were more interested in just seeing me rather than Mm. hearing me. And I think that's in a weird way, it was sort of the curse of being a model. You know, it it sort of uh, projected me as a one, as a two dimensional being, you know, not not quite uh, human, but sort of this like flat paper doll that was there to um, show you what kind of clothing to buy, what kind of makeup to buy, um, and maybe make you dream about exotic locations and, and sort of, you know, like uh, fashion dreams. But it, it does have a, a tendency to dehumanize one. And so sure. I think I had this like craving to, <laughs> it's almost like P- Pinocchio, you know, like I, I wanted to be a real girl. and you wanted to say something well I just I I always had plenty of things to say it's just no one was really interested past what my makeup tips were or diet tips so um, uh, that came with age it seems like age is that one like that thing that humanized me well maybe in tragedy public tragedy (laughs) Uh, but yeah that that sort of served to um, you know, turn me into a fully fledged human that that people actually care what I have to say. So that's a very nice change. They do care. And I want to go to the obvious. And that is that you are still one of the most beautiful women in the world. But what's so beautiful about you is that you don't seem to care about sharing your wrinkles or your lines or your gray hair. And I just want to know how you came to such freedom and self-acceptance and the willingness to share that with the world. Well, um, I think once again, this comes from a a lifetime of being seen and not heard and being seen as something I was not, you know, I was not, uh, I was not a prototype of a woman. I was just a young girl. Um, And I think I had this desire to to be known for who I am, and uh, and it, it's kind of like my prevent my face prevented people from being able to see who I actually was, and so as I started aging and all of these wrinkles and the gray hair started setting, and I had two choices, um, which is nice that you have choices. You know, I could get rid of them, 
um, and sort of join the, the armies of women who are sort of ageless because it, it allows you a seat at the main table for much longer if, if, you, if you're not so easily identifiable as a certain age. Um, or the other choice was to accept this. And if I accepted it, then I had to sort of roll with it and put it out there. There's a certain, I don't know about you, but for me, there's a certain amount of shame involved in aging as a woman. Like, not only are you a little ashamed to age, but you're also uh, ashamed not to age. And then you are ashamed if you take any steps to prevent this, but you're also ashamed if you don't take any steps so it's like there's no way of winning this war. Um, and I thought that in the long run, I, uh, I wanted to be able to accept myself for the person that I am. And the person I am has wrinkles. I'm 58. Uh, I'm not eternally I'm older young. than you. Well, <laughs> yay. Yay to us, older women, seasoned women, as I like to call us. Um, but a, par a, a big part of it, I, I think, was also that because I had been seen as a beautiful object, uh, and and you know, and the age has sort of um, a, allowed me to not look so distant. Like it has, you know, it has brought me back to earth, where we where we all live. You know, like yes, we all age, and so if I, I felt like if I was I wanted to be loved for who I am, and if I altered this, then it wouldn't really be me anymore. It would be a, a, a airbrushed version, and I don't want that airbrushed version out there anymore. I want it to be me. Well, you are so relatable, and I want to know what inspired you to write your book, No Filter, which is fantastic, by the way. Oh, thank you, Julie. Um, I, I, Actually, what inspired me was that, that a very direct question from Maria Shriver, would you write me a book? Would you write <laughs> me a book the way you write your Instagram? Uh, and that I thought, oh, I could do that. Like, that would be really interesting. I, because, you know, anybody that follows me on Instagram knows that I, I kind of use it for writing, really, more than I use it. Like, I you do. I post pictures because it's a visual media. And so you sort of have to lure the people in. But that's kind of what I feel like I'm doing. It's like I lure you in to tell you a story. It's kind of unconventional, but that's what I do. And so being able to write a whole book without having to post endless pictures of myself and without making it just paragraph-sized sounded like that sounded exciting. That was inspiring to me. Well, I have to say, just going back to the Vogue covers, over 20 of them, you did your last two Vogue covers over 55. Yeah. And you made sure they were not retouched. Um, there's a lot of confidence in that. I didn't make sure that they weren't retouched. That's not how, that's not how fashion works. You don't get to decide. Well, they, someone decided for you, <laughs> and you look gorgeous. Well, I let it be known that I would prefer to be unretouched. Um, and and it just turned out that the way that the pictures were done, they looked really good the way they were, so they didn't feel like they needed to retouch them. But again, a model doesn't have say about this. I think a lot of people don't realize this, is that we don't get 
to say. This, this is up to the magazines. You know, going back to the book, and I was, oh, wow, riveted by the book. And all my listeners, please buy No Filter. It's not just for women. It's for everybody. But one of the most shocking things in the book was, of course, your 30-year marriage to Rick Ocasek, and you were nursing him, and you were still married, separating, and he died, and he wrote you out of his will, but you were still living together, still a family of sorts, and I want to know how in the world you did not become a victim to that, but you instead chose to be a warrior. Uh, once again, I was presented with two choices, victim or warrior. Which one sounded better? <laughs> uh, you know, look, when it first happened, I can't pretend that I didn't feel victimized at first. And that, uh, and I had a very, very rough few years uh, be because of, well, because him dying, first of all, and that his rather... A strange decision uh, was sort of to was like a <laughs> cherry on top of that shit cocktail. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, we have two children together. Um, he had he has six sons, two of whom the oldest ones he also disinherited. So there were some there were some things that he did that were really unkind to to people that loved him and people that thought he loved um but i don't you know there's no way for there was no way for me to ask there was no way for me to solve this and so in or order to honor my children and honor the love that they have for their father uh i had to sort of i had to forgive not for not for him for for me for my children's sake and it turns out that forgiveness is when, when all the doors have been closed and you know that you will never hear, I'm sorry. It's actually easier than if he had lived on. If he had done something terrible and lived on, I think I would have been waiting for that, I'm sorry, forever. Um, but there was no, there was, you know, that wasn't going to happen. So I had to put it to rest. And you had to become a warrior, and you had to fight for what was rightfully yours, which I think uh, a lot of women can learn a great lesson from that. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> of course, when you are in the middle of grief, too, whether it's because you're grieving a divorce or well, you're grieving a death, it's really the worst time of all times to make uh, the kind of decisions that are suddenly required of you. Uh, and this is one thing like I look I'm not I, I can't advise anybody because it's not like it's not like what I have done has been so phenomenal but um but my one uh the one thing that I would like to tell women is it's just be be like know what will happen to you if something happens to your mate like know know where your money is know what your rights are understand what repercussions of a sudden calamity uh, whether he runs away with a younger woman or whether he dies or whether it's a she uh, just just you know have, have like take care of those things because we are now getting into an age where stuff happens not good stuff all the time 
That's right. You know, I'm going to hold up the book. Everybody needs this book. And I have dog-eared pages all over this book. But there's one section that I'd like to read because it really spoke to me. And you were in a nightclub. And this woman reached out and said, quote, I want to thank you, she said, for sharing your pain, which you did a lot of on Instagram. I mean, some crying videos and very painful videos. But she said, I'd like you... Thank you for sharing your pain, for being real. Because, you know, if you can do that, be real, then why can't I? And you write, this woman had just given me the best compliment of my life. That's a very, very inspirational story. Thank you. I think so, too. I was, I was inspired by that. So inspired, in fact, that it was became the first essay in my book. Um, yeah, I think, you know, look, the, the reason I became so incredibly vulnerable online and on social media was sort of accidental, and it really had to do with being in the worst place of my life and the most alone I've ever been in middle of COVID. So there really wasn't anywhere to go, and there was, I couldn't distract myself with friends. There was... No, no one was around. And so I sort of turned my, I tried to find some connection online because it was like the only thing left. All my friends had already sat with me through months of my grieving. And then they all had to disappear. You know, just when it gets the hardest, like when you are in grief, people think that the, that the immediate grief is the hardest one. Um, and for me, it wasn't. For me, that initial shock of the death sort of um, anesthetized me. You know, I went through just a, a, a months of just feeling nothing. I didn't, I didn't know, I, I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't read. I couldn't process things. I couldn't understand things. I didn't know why I was in a certain place at a certain time. And just as your feelings start to return after months of this, your friends move on because they've been sitting holding your hand doing their best to take you know to help you and and so you get about three to six months and then you're sort of supposed to snap out of it and that's when hell really starts yeah so and that and then i had that coupled with covid so yay good times (laughs) (laughs) you you survived and you're thriving and i just want my listeners to know that Fast forward, you're in a wonderful, loving relationship. And I don't know, how in the world did you meet a man from the suburbs of Atlanta, <laughs> which is where I live? <laughs> I know, small world. It's so funny. Yeah, and I know exactly where you are because I was there not too long ago going on a what we like to call a tour of his childhood trauma. He had seen my childhood trauma back in Czechia, and now I got to witness his in Atlanta. Um, well, obviously he doesn't, he hasn't lived in Atlanta for a long time. He lives in LA because he's a a TV screenwriter and, um, director. So LA is obviously where, well, actually not obviously, since you said there's a a huge studio in Atlanta right now. So much going on in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Maybe we'll be back. Who knows? Um, but yeah, we met, um, actually we would have, if it hadn't been for the internet, we wouldn't have met because he's he was in LA and I'm in New York and our worlds don't really coincide. Uh, and we met on a dating app. So as there you go. As 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 
I don't know. There's something yucky to me about, well, we met on a dating app. Um, and I'm trying to put those feelings away because the fact is I met this, the man that I've been waiting for my whole life on a dating app. Okay, fine. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. There's hope out there. And I would have there never is. met him. That gives women a lot of hope, let me tell you. I think they start, I think they should have hope because I went through the dating apps. I went through, I was on like four or five of them. I went on a lot of dates and I mean a lot. Kissed a lot of frogs, I'm sure. I kissed a lot of frogs, <laughs> some lovely, some not so lovely. Um, and I always thought of it as, you know, the worst dates uh, made for the best stories. So I was like, I'm just collecting stories. Like if the date turns out to be crap, which 70% of them did, at least I had a funny story to tell. Yeah. So, you know, you end up with something. It wasn't of for course. naught. How has Jeff's love changed you? Oh, gosh. You know what? It's interesting because, okay, I'm going to use a metaphor here because I'm very fond of metaphor as, you, as somebody who has read my book can surely tell. But um, Rick's death and the financial troubles and COVID and selling my house and completely having to reimagine who I am and where I am and what I'm, where I'm at, to me felt like I was handed a grenade uh, through a car window and my car blew up <laughs> and there was really nothing left. And I had to sort of painstakingly and by hand reassemble a new car out of the wreckage of the old one. And I did that by myself. Little by little, I was assembling my new car. I put the engine in. And Jeff is the road that I had to test it out on because I didn't know if my car was working or not. Like, I needed a partner to see if what I had assembled is, in fact, going to work. Uh, the road's a good one. That's, oh, I can tell you that. Like, it looks like a good one. <laughs> You know, I also want to applaud you. Um, you have talked about putting nothing in your face, but you've been so um, showing and telling of like laser treatments mm -hmm. or, you know, different treatments you've done in dermatologist office. And um, I just think that that's important that you do show that on Instagram um, and that um, you're not afraid to say, I'm not putting thing, anything in my face, but let me show you what I'm doing to my face that's beneficial. And um, I just wonder, how do you get such freedom to, to show those kind of things? Oh, Julie, I do not have the freedom, and I get a lot of blow, um, blowback when, whenever I do something like that because I have a lot of followers that seem to follow me because I am daring to age. And so when I post something that seems to contradict this, like using a laser, they sort of skirt over the, you know, like, well, it's supposed to stimulate new collagen naturally. Um, but like a, a parent, you know, then I'm, then I'm called out for not actually daring to age because I'm doing things that, that I shouldn't if I'm a pro-aging advocate. And, uh, and then when I post a picture of myself, as I just recently did, moving my face and, and talking about, you know, being older, then I get comments like, well, you don't look 58, you look 78. So 
Oh, okay. gosh. <laughs> we, we don't listen to those haters out there. What's so funny is that athletes age and they continue to work out and to build their muscles and yeah. stay in shape. And yet models, uh, you know, like you get attacked for, for, for just maintenance. And there's nothing wrong with maintenance in a healthy way. I really think that every woman should be able to choose her own path and choose what she wants to do with her body and her face. And this I really do stand behind. So um, to each their own. I, I have liked aging and I like, I kind of like, I think my face has more character as an older woman that it had when I was younger. Was I prettier and shinier? Yes, absolutely. But I don't, miss that because again the things that it brought me which was pretty privilege plenty of pretty privilege but what what it kept me from was making actual human real connections and so this phase allows me to do that so hey it's you know i'm i'm down down with it but if you want to do something to make yourself feel better it's a hard world that us women live in uh we, I, and I do think, I think that for so many years throughout, throughout history, women after a certain age, um, menopausal women and past menopause, you just sort of, you became invisible. You literally were eliminated from conversation. You were supposed to go and, I guess, just um, wait on people until you died. I mean, that was <laughs> like, you know, like your domestic, like a domestic animal like you're you're a cow or something um and the conversation is now a little different because the women that are in power are us it's us women that are over 40 and in our 50s and in our 60s and we're the ones that hold the most money and we are the ones that are the biggest consumers and damn right we're the smartest ones too that's right yes <laughs> so the dialogue the conversation is now starting because not we're not content with being put out to pasture you're not i'm not so and so then uh, uh, you know a conversation does have to be it has to be started and it has to be two-sided it can't just you know can't do monologuing in a corner because that is obviously not a conversation but i think we have done a good job of sort of raising uh, the awareness that that we need to have these conversations about being in our middle age and be still feeling vibrant and possibly sometimes better than we've ever been. Um, and and what you call maintenance allows us to participate in that conversation sometimes a little easier because people are still not. If you are, if you have wrinkles and if you have uh, sagging jowls and hooded eyes, well, people don't really want to listen to you. I called a friend today and I said, I'm interviewing Paulina Porskova on my podcast. And her text back was, oh my gosh, I love Paulina. She is the most stunning woman inside and outside. But the funny thing was she wrote inside first. Because I agree with her, your beauty, as beautiful as I thought you were, after reading your book, after seeing your social media, I think you're even more beautiful inside than you are outside. 
I almost want to tear up when I say that because uh, you are such an inspiration. Oh, thank you. Well, that makes me want to tear up and, and, and just say thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored that you care to listen and that you care to read my words and that, that you care. Well, you are relatable. That's what's wonderful. With your Instagram followers, when I read your book, I related to so many things in that. And I think that's something that you've done later in your life. You've put the pieces back together, as you said, mm. and you've become really socially relevant and incredibly relatable. Oh, thank you. Again, it's kind of accidental. I always thought I was relatable. It's just people didn't really want to relate. They just wanted to look. They just wanted to look, yeah. Well, as we end the podcast, I always um, like to ask, what's maybe, I know there's so many biggies in your life, but what's the one takeaway that you'd really like to share with our listeners today? If you could just focus on one thing that they could take away, uh, what would that be? Uh, again, I don't want to, like, I... I those are like big pronouncements that I don't feel like I have in me. I can just tell you that what has really changed my life around was um, taking responsibility for myself, meaning the way I react to other people's actions, um, the the idea that Things that have happened that are not wonderful in my life are not anybody's fault. Don't blame others. Take responsibility for what you might have done wrong and, uh, and fix it because that is how you start something new. And the, the thing is, at, at, you know, at the age of 50, we are all smart enough to sort of know how to go about it. So to be a warrior rather than a victim, because sometimes it's the only choices you have. And if you are a victim, nothing will change. If you're a warrior, you can change everything. I so agree. And I want to hold up this book one more time as we close. This is it. No filter. I want my audience to go out and buy this. <laughs> I got it on Amazon. You can get it in bookstores. You will, uh, it was a two day read for me. I could not put it down. And thank you for being relatable, inspirational, beautiful on the inside. And thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Julie. Thanks so much for joining me on Limitless Boldly Tackle Your Next Chapter. Subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know when new episodes drop. You can also keep up with me on Instagram at It's Me, Julie Moran. Stay bold, everybody.